Welcome to the Stanley Avenue Church of Christ. We are studying through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 8. Ask that you follow along as we read from the NIV. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in hopes that he will forgive you of such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin." Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me that nothing that you've said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord came to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of the treasury, of the Kundek, which means the Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the message of the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came upon some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea.
So here we have a continuation of the growth of God's church. We had started in Jerusalem and we saw great success there, but then persecution arose based on the events of chapter 6 and 7. Uh, the Sanhedrin council decided that they had had enough and they were going to begin persecuting the Christians in earnest. And so uh, they started with the death uh, execution of Stephen and Saul was one of the ones involved there. And so Saul began to take over uh, the charge of throwing Christians into prison, dragging them uh, back before the council. Now, uh, because of Saul's persecution, because it was so intense, the Christians thought it would be better should, uh, to just leave. And so by leaving, you would think that the church was being overthrown, uh, remembering that uh, the, the concept of church is the concept of assembly. And so how were you to combat uh, an assembly, but you disperse it? Well, that was Satan's plan, but Christianity is, is bigger than that. Uh, and so as the Christians are dispersed, uh, the church is actually not uh, squashed out, but in fact, it makes it grow because the Christians keep uh, spreading the news of the gospel wherever they go. And, and uh, for whatever reason, the Satan didn't count on that whenever he was orchestrating uh, this type of persecution. And uh, so, uh, even though the church was starting in Jerusalem, it is now spreading everywhere. This is according to what Jesus said at the beginning of Acts it's going to start in Jerusalem, it's going to go to Samaria, and then it's going to go to the other uh, parts of the earth. So here we have all of Jerusalem, all of the areas surrounding Jerusalem have obeyed, or people have heard the gospel, the churches have started. But now we find that the church is going to now go to Samaria. The gospel message is going to be spread to Samaria. And then after this, of course, it will spread to the rest of the earth. So here we have an account of a man, Philip, whom we met back in chapter 6, who was one of the uh, de uh, delegated people to uh, take care of the widows indeed in Jerusalem, and uh, he was described as a man of good standing with the church and full of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is one of the uh, occasions in which the Holy Spirit was, was going to use him. So Philip becomes a preacher in this chapter. He had previously been a, a, a minister servant uh, for the church at Jerusalem. Well, Many of the saints in Jerusalem have just been dispersed, and so it appears that his job in that capacity has kind of lived out, it's served its purpose, and so he decides to dedicate his time now to preach. And of course, he's driven by the Spirit, chosen by the Spirit to do this work. It's interesting that uh, the Spirit chooses to use Philip rather than the apostles. Um, I, I think part of the reason the Spirit chooses to do so is to kind of bring up uh, some of the points to note in this chapter, but also to show that the preaching of the gospel is not limited only to the apostles. This is something that the Spirit wants all of his, uh, or all of the saints to be involved with. And so what we read is that in verse 4, everybody who scattered were preaching the word. Philip is just one of those Christians that are going about uh, spreading the word. So uh, Samaria was one of the closest in relation to Israel, both in location and in nationality. The Samaritans were considered partial Jews. Uh, they, they still were not recognized. You read back in John chapter 4, we'll have a couple uh, points to draw from there again. But in John chapter 4, we read that the Samaritans were still separate from the Jews, and they didn't really associate with one another. But uh, it was still the closest you could get uh, to being a Jew. Uh, kind of that bridge between Jew and Gentile. The, the Spirit is making that progression from Jew into Gentile uh, territory. And so the miracles of healing that Philip performed uh, were received gladly. 
and verses eight through uh, six through eight. And uh, the message was received because of it. And this is really the entire design of miracles. Uh, it's to it's to focus on the message. And so uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uses miracles to drive people to look at the message, uh, so that they know the messenger is sanctioned from God, but also that uh, the the message itself comes from God. And in John chapter four, verses forty one through forty two, the Samaritans have a history of of receiving Jesus already. Uh, Jesus himself was taken in and welcomed and believed in by the Samaritans uh, back in that passage. And the apostles were aware of this. Um, we don't really know what they felt about that at the time, uh, but it seems now that they're, you know, perfectly fine with it. All right, so before we get there in verses 9 through 11, we are introduced to a man who is a sorcerer, a popular guy. He had gained a lot of reputation, high standing among, it says, both high and low uh, classes in the area. So he was a guy that uh, people looked up to, and he they looked up to him because of his sorcery and magic. He amazed people. The things that he was able to do were surprising. They were uh, a great show, and uh, the things that they, they recognized as being powerful beyond human capacity. Now, we don't know what the extent of his own abilities are, but what we do know is that uh, the sorcery and magic that he used was nothing compared to God's healing, God's miracles and signs. There was a clear distinction between the power that God was displaying through Philip and what this guy had been doing through his sorcery and magic. Now, we're not told uh, that his sorcery and magic was trickery. It appears that he himself, you know, uh, knew that there were drastic limitations to his own abilities, but he enjoyed the praise uh, from the rest of the people. And magic here in this context and the sorcery that that relies on showmanship. Basically, he made a big show of it. He was popular because he was a big showman. He was able to build it up and give a good performance, and people respected him because of that. But in comparison to Philip, God's power is simple. It's humble, uh, it, but it is powerful. And so it was the power that was uh, noticed. It was the uh, the, the, the power of God was clearly seen through Philip. Now, Simon here was called the power of God, but it was obvious to everybody. As soon as they saw God's power, um, that uh, uh, the, the sorcery and magic that Simon had was, was essentially worth next to nothing compared uh, to what God offers through the gospel. And so in verse 12, uh, we, we find a, a good summary of uh, conversion, and this is consistent throughout the entire book of Acts. It says, when they believed, they were baptized. This is consistent everywhere you read through Acts. That's what they did when they believed. And so uniting their faith with that action is part of their obedience to the gospel. And, it's, and we read that uh, Simon himself was obedient to that call, and he believed himself and was also baptized. Now he's going to come back up again. He's got some problems he needs to work out. So uh, when the apostles heard that the Samaritans were accepting the gospel rather than just rejecting that, they were happy about it. Uh, they still have in mind what Jesus intends for the gospel here and for the kingdom, and so they send uh, Peter and John out. Peter and John are, are a good couple here throughout uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, and we don't know why they picked these two uh, to send. They do appear to be one of the 
uh, or two of the, the, the leaders amongst the apostles. John himself, uh, remember, was with Peter back in Acts chapter 4, helping to heal and to preach the word. Uh, but also, John is the one who records uh, the passage back in, in John chapter 4, uh, where Jesus interacts with the Samaritans. Um, uh, that, that's not really recorded in detail in the other Gospels, but John here, who is sent to the Samaritans, decides to include uh, Jesus' interaction with the Samaritans and uh, include their reception of Jesus and uh, the fact that Jesus was able to stay there several days and, uh, and have good success with the gospel even while he was alive. And so John chooses to record that probably based on his interaction with these brethren uh, here. And so he wants to, to make sure everybody is aware that the Samaritans uh, were uh, receiving of the gospel even back in uh, Jesus' day. One well, verses 15 through 17, uh, the Holy Spirit was uh, giving special gifts uh, to those who had um, received uh, the, the gift through the apostles. And so uh, what we find is that uh, the Holy Spirit gives special gifts in connection to the apostles, the gifts of healing, uh, gifts of um, being able to lay on of hands so that others can heal. These things were connected directly to the apostles. Uh, the Holy Spirit just wasn't giving this to anybody willy-nilly. There, there really was a purpose and a connection uh, for all this. The Holy Spirit has um, a reason for, for giving these types of signs and gifts for these moments. And, and the Holy Spirit connects these moments to the apostles uh, because of their connection with the authority that Jesus had given them to spread the message. So again, the uh, the gifts of miracles and signs are directly related to the message that Jesus brought. So once that message was established, we, we really find a tapering out of these types of gifts throughout even the uh, even through the um, the timeline that uh, the book of Acts presents. Now, this isn't going to be the last time we hear about this type of thing, because over in uh, chapter 19, when Paul goes to Ephesus, he asks them uh, about the Holy Spirit because he finds that there's something missing. They didn't realize, or at least there was a group of people in Ephesus that did not realize that the Holy Spirit was a thing. And so when he instructed them about it, taught them about the connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. And then it says in verse 6, this is chapter 19, verse 6, that Paul then uh, laid his hands on them and they then were able to have some miraculous gifts as well. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is connected to baptism when they're, when they're baptized into the name of Jesus here in uh, Samaria. Uh, they did receive the Holy Spirit. This is what uh, what Peter had told them back in Acts chapter 2, that uh, if you, you repent and be baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is, again, Peter, same man uh, uh, amongst them here. They had received the Holy Spirit. Um, that They had received the down payment for their inheritance according to Ephesians chapter 1. But the gift of laying on of hands and the gifts of miracles was something that the apostles needed to bestow uh, and so we find Peter and John doing that here. Well, Simon, who we read about before, he has his eyes on this in verses 18 and 19. And it's interesting that he asks the apostles, he asks Peter, not just that Peter can lay his hands on him so that he can perform miracles. He wanted to be like one of the apostles. He saw that the apostles were kind of this special uh, uh, gift givers, and so he wanted that type of status. 
he didn't realize really what he was asking for. Remember back uh, when the apostles were talking with Jesus and they wanted to be elevated to a high position and Jesus asked them, are you really able to bear the cup that I'm about to bear? Do you really know what you're asking for? And they thought they did. Um, but uh, Jesus hadn't chose, chosen Simon for this task. I mean, Peter makes it quite clear, this ministry, this type of thing is not meant for you, Simon, in part because you are not approaching this the right way. And, and Peter points out the, uh, the, the evil and sinful motives that Simon has for this. Now, even though he's been baptized in the name of Jesus, he has received in his own self the gift of the Holy Spirit of eternal life, and yet he hasn't quite left his old ways behind. And so his salvation is in question here. Uh, if he does not recount or recant his uh, sinful motives here, then even after being baptized, he can in fact lose his position. And so Peter basically tells him, you got more important things to worry about, Simon. Your own soul's on the line. Uh, much less these gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you need to make sure you're right with God. Now, we don't know what Peter did or what Simon did with all this. Um, it seems like he's penitent enough to ask for forgiveness, and we're going to hope the best for him. Now, as far as uh, Philip is concerned, his job, his work is not done. In uh, verse 26, 25, 26, we find that uh, Philip has more work to do. This The Spirit uh, guides him to a particular location uh, so that he can be in the path of an Ethiopian who is returning from worship at Jerusalem. So he's a God-fearer. Perhaps he's a Jew, we just don't know. Uh, but he is a, a God-fearer nonetheless, returning from the Passover Pentecost time frame. And uh, he is reading in his chariot. He's on his way. And uh, in verse 30, we, you know, we see that uh, Philip noticed that he was reading, and we, we don't really know why that is. Maybe he's trying to read out loud. Maybe somebody's reading to him. It's it's apparent, though, that he's not really understanding what he's reading. And so Philip, prompted by the Holy Spirit, uh, goes up to the chariot, asks him about it. says, do you, do you really know what you're talking about? I don't know, maybe the, the Ethiopian was having trouble pronouncing some of the Hebrew dialect. Maybe he was just questioning things as they were being read. But his response is, was really good. He says, I, how can I understand unless somebody shows me? And this, this is representative of all of us. This is representative, uh, symbolic of the entire Old Testament. Uh, now, it just so happens that he's reading a portion of Isaiah here, which is a very messianic passage. And so it makes it convenient to transition what he's reading into the message of Jesus. But remember back in Luke 24, verses 45 and 46, God explained, or Jesus, explained how the New Testament, how the scriptures, or rather the Old Testament and the scriptures, um, how they interact with, with his own resurrection. And so all of the Old Testament scriptures are capable of bringing you to Christ. And this is just one of those passages that Philip was able to use to then uh, a segue into the message of Jesus. It says, basically, let me tell you who this passage is talking about. It's talking about the Messiah. And that's what he's been preaching to all the Samaritans. He's been preaching the message of the Messiah. Now, this man here has his scriptures in front of him, whom the Samaritans didn't really rely on. They didn't have, uh, they didn't hold to, you know, Isaiah's testimony as, uh, as canon. Uh, but uh, using this scripture, he's able to explain Jesus, and this man comes to believe. And uh, verse 36, we read that, again, it's, it's baptism that accompanies his belief, and uh, he sees the water and he says, I, I need to do this. I want to do this. Nothing's going to stop me 
from from doing this. And and again, a baptism is that dedication of uh, of the death that we are experiencing with Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. And we're going to find that that issue of resurrection is going to be a powerful uh, concept throughout the uh, throughout the later stages of Acts. So the Ethiopian. Uh, official is uh, singled out by the Spirit here, and once he is believes, once he is baptized, Philip is taken away. His his job is done, and uh, the Spirit picks out this Ethiopian, and it's interesting that he picks him out individually. And uh, the Ethiopian then continues to go on his way, rejoicing. I think the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. The gospel is spreading to all places, and the Ethiopian is then one of those tools that can bring the gospel back to his hometown as well. So the gospel spreads. No matter what the Satan tries to do, no matter what persecutors try to do, the gospel continues to spread. And we're going to find another great occasion of the growth of the gospel in Acts chapter 9. So join us as we continue in our study through the book of Acts.